Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and welcome to Master Leadership Through Crisis series, where we will connect with leaders worldwide to gain insights on important questions to help us navigate these rough waters. If you would like to participate as a guest, or if you have a question that you would like to ask, go to masterleadership.org forward slash podcast. That's masterleadership.org forward slash podcast for more information. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Tim Ringold. As a board-certified music therapist, Tim Ringold studies and harnesses the power of music. He empowers individuals and groups to reach for music to increase focus, creativity, connection, and safely escape stress. Tim leads groups through interactive musical lectures and workshops to quickly lead them out of states of stress and into states of safety, connection, and eventually high performance. Personally, music led Tim through two separate traumatic experiences. He now helps others learn just how easy and fun it is to reach for music to help them optimize their work and home life so that they can not just survive, but thrive in a culture that suffers from digital distractions and harmful substances at nearly every turn. Tim leads by example always humbly sharing his journey side-by-side with research to offer a hand to anyone suffering, saying, I've been there too, and there's something that you already love that can help lead you out. Music. Let me show you how. Welcome, Tim Ringgold. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing well, Lily. Appreciate it. Well, we're so happy to have you on our podcast. Are you ready to pour into our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. All right, Tim, so tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now. Sure. I started out a musician before I knew I was anything else. I sang my first solo when I was four, and uh, the arts and creativity and music was always my passion. A straight A student in music, always who's who in music in high school, sang for the Pope by the time I'm 16 years old, wow. uh, just charging into the world of music an unquenchable thirst for music, an unquenchable curiosity for music. And it started out as a performer. Like many people in music, you start out doing it first. And along the way, you either got lessons and then decided to give lessons and it might pivot to education. But not for me. There was a third shape on the wheel, if you will. And it was really the emotional, the therapeutic power of music that affected me the most and changed my life when I was 22. So when I was 22, my five best friends were murdered. Wow. The night before the Oklahoma City bombing, take you back in time. Wow. And you may remember waking up the next day and on you know, NBC and ABC and CBS, there's the federal building bombed out and on the local channel, there was my best friend's house burned to the ground and they're pulling body bags out. We're all wow. calling each other to figure out 
who was in the body bags because only three kids lived at the house, but they oh, had five bags. It oh was my gosh. Hell. Oh, wow. I went, I went to five funerals in four days. Oh and I sang a song at each funeral, my way of saying goodbye to my friends and, and my community embraced me for how healing it was for them. But it, it tore me up to do it. But mm -hmm. fast forward to the night of the last funeral, I went and took in some live music for myself. And for the first two hours since I got the news, I found peace. Wow. So what was the time frame? That was seven days. So Tuesday night, my friends are murdered. Wednesday morning, I wake up, I get the news. Groundhog's Day in hell every day till the following Tuesday, I go see a show. Finally, that night, I find peace. And let me tell you, candidly, no amount of drugs or alcohol or porn or cable TV numbed the pain all week. And I tried all of them and I stacked mm -hmm. them all. I did everything I could to numb out from that trauma and nothing worked. But the music did. The music did. Wow. And so from that moment, I dedicated the rest of my life to teaching others and helping others to reach for music in their toughest times. Wow. That just became the purpose of my life. And so now, how many years later that is, my company provides over 200 hours of clinical music therapy to children, adolescents, adults, the elderly every month. And I travel the country speaking to organizations and individuals how to reach for music to relieve stress fast so they can get back to doing their best work. And particularly for people who are in a position of leadership, that's especially relevant because we can't lead from a position of reaction and reacting. We need to be in a mode of creativity and vision and have our executive functioning working. And when we're stressed, our best facets are offline and music allows us to come back, be creative, respond, not react. And it allows us to do our best work fast. And so I'm privileged to be able to do that and teach others to do that in their daily lives. Wow. You're speaking to my heart. I mean, I love music. I wish I could play music. Um, I can't sing. I can dance, but I appreciate music. Um, yes. You mentioned a couple of things. You mentioned Groundhog Day. And at the time of this interview, we're going through a global pandemic. And this is certainly no comparison to what happened and the tragedy that you went through. But it certainly has changed a lot of people's lives. So tell us how it's disrupted or changed your life. And how are you using music or what are you using to help you through this time? Yeah, it's a great question. So for me personally, the way it's changed things around my world is first, most personally, you know, we're homeschooling our kids now, right? It's like the school is providing a curriculum, but we're the ones, you know, implementing right. it. Now my 13 year old, who's going to be 14 on Saturday, she's a rock star, totally self-motivated. She's amazing, independent worker. Don't have to worry about her at all. What a blessing. My eight year old son, on the other hand, is really struggling with this mm -hmm. isolation, the lack of structure, with the change in structure, with the change in power dynamics and relationships between parents and where's his teacher and why is his parents now his teacher and mm -hmm. they're already his parents. So having to mobilize resources where we can't go to see somebody. So now we're having Zoom calls with the guidance counselor and Zoom calls with a therapist while trying to handle this on a day-to-day -day basis. It reminds me that there are so many people who were already 
redlining it with either mm -hmm. trauma mm -hmm. or depression or anxiety, self-harm, addiction before this crisis. You know, we were already in an opioid crisis right. before the COVID-19 crisis. We're losing, I mean, the numbers are so astronomically high to overdose and suicide that they're not believable. You just can't believe the numbers are real and that society was just moving along. But our lifespan, yours and my lifespan, has now gone down for the last three years in a row. For the first time since the Spanish flu of 1918, mm. because of overdoses and suicides. It's already that bad. And then we threw this on top of it. So we're just pouring kerosene onto the fire. And so the collateral damage in the mental health world, which is where my company really sets up and does most of its work is working with teens and adults who are struggling with addiction, depression, and anxiety. I mean, just treating COVID-19 is challenging enough. Treating the mental health challenges that we're having from anyone who's had trauma before and is being re-triggered by this, we're not ready to handle that. And we're practicing social distancing, which means it's logistically really challenging to get people into treatment and to go treat them once they're there. Mm -hmm. So for me, in my lens as a music therapist and as the owner of a music therapy company and a leader in my field, I gave the first TED Talk on music therapy in 2012. This is a whole nother level of challenge and is heartbreaking. Mm. So um, what's the name of your company and how can we get a hold of you? Sonic Divinity is the name of my company. Mm -hmm. We're online at sonicdivinity.com. And I'm sure after hearing this, a lot of people would be interested in what you do. So what's the process now? I mean, I'm sure it's changed a bit. So what right? would happen? I'm interested. Listen, I need music in my life, Tim. I forgot to answer. You did ask me like, what am I doing personally to manage? And you had correctly assumed, how am I using music? One thing I've been doing, I'm on day, I think it's day 26, I'm doing Facebook Lives where I improvise. I just make up music with my acoustic guitars and a loop pedal in my studio and I film it and it's called Something to Comfort You. And so I think it's Something to Comfort You tonight will be at the time of this taping. I think it's day 26. So I'm providing, you know, roughly 30 minutes of relaxing music, inspiring music online every day. And what that's done for me is it's allowed me to connect with my instruments and let my instruments talk and process because language is a bridge, but it's also a toll booth because you got to have the right words to get the energy out. Right. So language isn't always the right tool. And particularly if you're going through something intense emotionally, you may not be able to form language in order to get it out and you need other tools. And that's why music therapy is so powerful because Forgive me, Hans Christian Andersen? Who, who was it? The famous quote, when words fail, music speaks. Mm -hmm. We've all had that experience personally. Mm -hmm. that music has spoken right to our hearts. A songwriter sings lyrics from our life. Our right, life. Right. How'd, you, how'd you do how'd that? You know? <laughs> how'd you know? That's me, right? And I tell you, when I'm speaking at conferences or at retreats or workshops, like I'll ask how many people, raise your hand if you've had a song come on where the lyrics told your story better than you ever had and you never told anyone. And psh, hands go up all around the room and they have this like look like deer in the headlights, like, right. how did you know that? Mm -hmm. That's because that's why music is so personal and so powerful and why regardless of if anybody considers themselves a musician or not, 
I've rarely met someone who doesn't consider themselves a music lover. Yeah. Because it does that. It makes that connection, you right. know, to right. our heart. Right. And so it's been a great tool for me to express, which just means get out, to express mm-hmm. this stress that I'm under every day during this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, we touched on it at the beginning. There's just this rate of change that we're not used to as adults. Now, an infant, early childhood, toddler, even primary school age kid can handle high rates of change because they're undergoing neurological change and physical change at exponential rates. So they have like a change gear. But as we hit adulthood, we kind of plateau in like the change meter. Mm -hmm. It really flattens out. And we go through entire decades that become very synonymous. Like your 30s might look alike, right? Or your 20s might look alike. Or your 40s might look alike. Like we start to talk about decades of time. We're changing by the day right now. Right. We are not psychologically equipped. We do not have the coping muscle built. We have not been practicing how to pivot this frequently globally, meaning not just like individually, collectively as a society, but in every area of our life simultaneously. And that's very stressful on each one of our brains. Our brains are exhausted right now, cognitively, emotionally exhausted because we're having to make decisions on things that used to require no decision-making. We're exhausted. And so that stress builds up in our body. And I don't care who you are. Everybody reaches for something when they get stressed. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. the way the brain's designed. It's just designed to try to self-soothe and calm down when we're stressed. And so one of the beautiful things about music is that when you listen to the music you enjoy or you make it, your brain turns off the stress response. That's powerful because that's faster than any oral medication. Even if you have anxiety and you're on medication, let's say you have stress in the middle of the day, there's nothing you can take for it. You have to rely on coping skills at that point. Mm -hmm. And engaging with music will turn that stress off faster than anything else. So it's an incredibly powerful tool at a time like now. And so I reach for it multiple times a day. And my topic, which I usually speak at events on is, you know, how to relieve stress fast so that you can increase focus, increase creativity and increase connection for your company or for your individuals. Boy, is that relevant now? Because we're all having to turn off the stress multiple times a day. And the goal is to reach for music instead of the Netflix button or the phone or the fridge, right? I mean, parks are closed, but liquor stores and gun stores are open. Because they're essential. We just have a collective (laughs) shaking of our heads right now. I heard that in a coaching call earlier today. Someone made that comment and I just sat there going, are you kidding me? Right? Like, so we're- I mean, we know why parks are closed. Yes. But the other stuff, it just right? doesn't. Mind blowing. The things that are good for us versus the things that are, oh, right. seems like not so good for us. Right. And so you have a Facebook group. So I do the Facebook lives. You can just go onto Facebook and find me on Facebook. I post all those on Tim Ringgold. So forward mm-hmm. slash Tim Ringgold with two G's. And I run a membership program called Reach for Music for people who want to have accountability and community in their relationship to using music as a practice. So for you and me, we grew up thinking about music as entertainment or education, and it was very valuable. But this real personal way we all use it is really for therapeutic. It's 
for our own self-care. And so when we reach for music to help manage our own stress, I can listen to it, I can make it, I can write it, I can relax to it, I can dance to it, like you like to dance to it, right? Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of ways I can do it. And just like a yoga practice, if you sign up and you go to your local yoga studio for lessons, you're more likely to do yoga because you're doing it in a community, you've got accountability, you've put a little money in the budget like a stake. What I find is that for years after I would speak at conferences, people would be inspired to pick up an instrument again or learn a new instrument. Because they were like, yeah, music, this is great. I'd get an email from them. I'm going to do this. And then maybe I'd see them a year later and I'd speak at a conference. Oh, how'd that go? Oh, I, right. I stopped. So, you know, the reason people fail at New Year's resolutions, they try to do them on their own. Right. Right. So they have the knowledge, but they don't have the accountability. They don't have the community. So my program Reach for Music gives them those two missing tools so that they can have structure to reaching for music as a part of their daily self-care, just like exercise or yoga or meditation. Music is as fundamentally important to us managing the stress we're all under right now. And it's just mm -hmm. as effective. And I appreciate that. Most of my work is in schools. I coach teachers and leaders. So how do you do that with schools? Well, yeah, let me immediately share what I would recommend is that in school, the lens that we often think of music through is an educational lens mm -hmm. and that we need to learn to perform and that there is value in learning to perform. And there is. However, there's a quicker win with music with young children than trying to get them to get together in a group and perform the same piece of music and have it sound like a piece of music. And that is just engaging in music just for the benefits of the connection. So there's a bond that happens when we make music together because we engage in rhythm. So they did some really fascinating research with early childhood with young kids in rhythm. And they found that if kids move together in rhythm and they sync in rhythm, their empathy goes up. So the research was they would have the kids move and bounce to rhythm, and then the investigator would drop a jar of pencils. And they'd have two sets of kids, kids who didn't bounce in rhythm and do rhythm activities, and then they'd drop the pencils, and kids who got connected with the investigator with rhythm and movement, and then drop the pencils. The kids who had gotten connected in rhythm overwhelmingly reached out to help pick up the pencils. The kids who weren't connected in rhythm didn't reach out and help. So that's a fundamental thing that we teach in early childhood, which is this inner, you know, personal connection that you're not just an automaton in the universe, right? And there's other people around and it matters and turn-taking matters and other people's feelings matter, right? We're kind of trying to explore that in early childhood with kids. Music teaches that automatically and facilitates that connection all by itself. You don't even have to tell the kids that's what you're doing. You just say, hey, it's rhythm time. Get a bunch of egg shakers, get them shaking egg shakers, get them clapping, get them hand tapping on their bodies, getting them bobbing in rhythm and doing call and response songs is wonderful for attention span and for connection with no performance purpose. And I think that's one of the big mistakes we make in education when it comes to music is we think it's all about this performance at the end of the semester, or that's the shining moment. And we're missing this value that happens when we spontaneously engage in music together. And that's why there are so many early childhood music programs 
like music together or kinder music or sprouting melodies because the, the research shows that when you engage in music together, you create this connection, this bond that's very, very powerful and it's very immediate. It doesn't discriminate and we all have it in us. So, Hey leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. If you haven't downloaded your copy of the Master Leadership Journal, go to masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ to get instant access and begin growing your leadership with questions that have been curated by top level leaders. I've also included some cool extras for you at masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ. You know, when I think about what you're saying, um, we need it now, but we're going to need it after as well, because with even the words social distancing, I, right. I never liked that. No, I, I'm always thinking, you know, there's got to be a better way to say that. Um, I agree. And, I thought that was a and, good and the insight. The way I say it is physical distancing. Yes. We're going to need a lot of ways to reconnect. Yes. So we're going to need you, Tim. <laughs> I think you're very wise in your distinction about social distancing versus physical distancing. Because what I've noticed when I walk my dog is people avert their eyes. And what's interesting is that eye contact and physical distancing, they don't actually require fear. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. People look fearful. Yes. Look fearful. So they look away. Right. And it's like you looking away from me right now won't lower your chances of getting COVID-19 from me if I have it. Right. Or Our saying fit- hello to me. Yeah. Saying hello, you know, smiling. Right. And, and as humans, we're right. pack animals. We run in groups. That's how we dominated nature was because we figured out how to organize ourselves in groups. We're not meant to be isolated individuals. That's not the design. So we really need to learn what are the safe ways we can lean on each other right now and what we really need. And I think this is going to be a big wake up call to a trend that was already happening, which was thanks to technology, our physical engagement, our eye engagement, our, this engagement was already seeping away. I mean, I watch it with my kids. Daughter doesn't know how to talk to her boyfriend on the phone. They text, mm-hmm. right? And so we're already watching this level of engagement dropping because of technology. And I'm really concerned that this is going to just speed up that mm-hmm. process. So one of the things I'm doing in my neighborhood, in addition to doing Facebook lives for everybody around the world, every night, every Saturday, my neighbor puts out an extension cord and on the curb, I set up my PA and my guitars and I play. And everyone within earshot comes out of their house, sits down on their front porch or on their grass or on their driveway or on the curb or in the street. And from splotches of distance away, we all come together for some live music. Oh, wow. We, we did it as a one-off thing. And at the end of the first one, people were so grateful and so appreciative. And they said, boy, I really needed this. Hmm. I wish we could do this again next week. And it was like, well, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> right. You know, so stick out an extension cord and, uh, you know, we don't have to be in a mosh pit, right? We can be spread way out and, you know, it's but still, but still connect. In a beautiful and, way. That's and awesome. so what we did is I played some live music and then I had everybody within eyesight introduce themselves by their first name. And the first week was, who are you and which house is yours? And the second week was, who are you? And what do you love about living in this neighborhood? Mm. 
it was a little campy. You know, everyone was like, oh, it feels like, you know, I was like, don't worry, I'll, I'll own the awkwardness of this. I'll facilitate this. We see each other. What's your name? And what do you love about this neighborhood? And sure enough, all the teens showed up in the neighborhood. All the kids were there. All the parents were there. All the grandparents were there. And every single person, there must have, you know, it was a, quite a few people, they shared what they loved about our neighborhood. And then as everybody started to share what they loved about our neighborhood, it reminded everybody else about what's awesome about our neighborhood mm. was this list of things. And it got us all present to community and gratitude. Love it. Facilitated that connection. So Fantastic. we're going we're gonna to need a lot more of that going forward in you know, socially responsible, physically responsible ways. But we have to be thinking about how can we gather physically? Because as a species, we've been gathering physically for tens of thousands of years. Right. So it's very unnatural for us to not gather. Right? So we're, this is really a challenge right now. And I think that's why I want to give a shout out to Zoom. Because Zoom went from 10 million subscribers a month ago to 200 million subscribers in 30 days right. with a few problems. Glitches, right. Yeah, right. no problem. But that's a 20x growth in right. 30 days with technology. And most of us didn't really notice it. It was just an annoyance or an inconvenience. Right. Right. That's phenomenal. You know, so that's a beautiful win. That's what's allowing us to connect right now, coast to coast. That's right. You know? And you're and in so, my ear. <laughs> I'm in your ears, right? So, and you're in my studio. That's uh, right. And I'm very grateful for platforms like Facebook because when I do a Facebook Live, someone grabs their phone and they can hit the, the heart or the like. Or the and, share. Or they share. share it. They can do watch parties and That's share right. it. They can hit heart over and over and over. And on my screen, I see, and everybody else sees, these bubbles of love That's right. That's going right. up the screen. And I mm -hmm. know in that moment, that person's heart and my music are connected. And I don't know where they are. They could be anywhere. That's great. That's yeah. amazing. And so I think it's important, you know, those of us who are old enough to really marvel in that and not take that for granted. One of my mentors lives by the ocean. And so he okay. films the sunrise oh. every morning. And so I host that watch party because... <laughs> I'm nowhere near a beach. So those are ways that we stay connected. And even you mentioned Zoom. I do Zoom, you know, wine chats with my friends and we yes. drink wine and we hang out. And we answer questions. So it's being intentional about yes. staying connected and being socially connected still, yes. even though yes. this is happening. So, Tim, when you think about leadership today, yep. what concerns you the most and what are you most hopeful about? It's a really great question. I was thinking about this before, like, what am I noticing? So I'm a big fan of Jim Collins and John C. Maxwell. And so thinking of the concept of the servant leader, what I'm noticing I'm inspired by today are leaders who are serving first right now. And they're coming from a place of service and generosity first and foremost. Mm -hmm. They're letting their teams work out the details and they're staying focused on staying present. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really very important because anyone who thinks they can predict the future is lying. It's inauthentic. Yes. None of us have any idea what a month from now is going to hold. That's an unprecedented statement in history. We just, it's never right. been that way. Right. So, Leaders who are forecasting the future 
It's inauthentic. And we all know that at a deep level, like you cannot possibly be forecasting responsibly unless it's based on data that you have, and you may or may not even have any data to support optimism, pessimism, anything. But Mm -hmm. right now, today, this week, how can we show up and serve our people? The leaders who have focused on that in their messaging and in their Mm -hmm. actions, Mm -hmm. that's impressed me and that's inspired me. And that's empowered me as a leader as well to go Mm -hmm. model that. You know, if I'm looking through a lens of leadership in the world today, those who are inspiring me are those who are staying present. Because I think one of the things that's important to understand is that there is only one place in time that we have any control, and that's in the present. We don't have any control over the past. We don't have any control over the future. Conceptually, that's like a nice esoteric conversation. It's really relevant right now because none of us know if our kids are going to be graduating in a gym in a month from now or not, but probably not. But Mm -hmm. we don't know for sure. Mm -hmm. We don't know if they're going to summer camp this summer. All summer camps are all sitting there, right? Is my kid's eighth grade graduation going to be virtual or live? Nope. Mm-hmm. We don't know. We can't know that. That's very disempowering for the brain to be thinking about future events that it has no control over. Mm-hmm. The only place that I can have any control is in the present moment. I can control how I move my body. I can control what I put in my mouth. And I can control what I focus on only in the present. So leaders who are staying there and encouraging their people to stay there, that's empowering for their people. I don't know if leaders necessarily would know how to break all that down, but those who are doing it are doing a huge service to their people. Great. Thank you. So Tim, Denise Lee Betrau, she was a guest on our show and she wants to know how you're leaving a legacy during this time because legacy is important in leadership. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think when we look at outcomes, we're always focused on outcomes. And an outcome is like a short-term concept, but a legacy is more of a long-term concept. Mm -hmm. And a legacy is really the sum total of outcomes over time. And they speak for themselves. So outcomes are actions that have been completed. And developmentally, children learn through action and they model through action as do grownups. So walk the walk, right? Mm -hmm. Walk the walk. So children model the emotional well-being of their parents. So if their parents are stressed and uneasy, the kids are stressed and uneasy. Or the parents fight and raise their voice, the kids fight and raise their voice. So what we do is we model behavior of those who lead us. So that's what it's like at home. If I'm at an organization and my boss is late, cool, late's tolerated, I'm going to be late. If poking fun at colleagues is tolerated, cool. Okay, I got the green light to poke fun. Okay, that's what the culture is like around here. Okay, that is what gets left behind. It's like the wake behind all of the actions, right? Mm -hmm. So my actions cause my outcomes. My outcomes over time are my legacy. I think it's very important for us to understand that, that an outcome is just a moment in the chain of your legacy. And so... You can't say at the end of a bunch of outcomes, oh, I want things to be one way. You've already said how it's going. 
by the sum total of your actions. Right. You can't wait till the end of your life to say, oh, I want to leave a legacy. No, you already did. What what is my legacy? That's right. Just ask. You left it. It's in the rear view mirror, honey. It's already there. And I'll I'll tell you a story. So as humans and family, uh, my company worked with teens, adolescents who are struggling with addiction, mental health issues, and they're in treatment. And at first, one of the first treatment centers I worked at was like 30 grand a month to send your kid to this treatment. It's really expensive treatment center. Parents had a lot of money. You know what the parents didn't have? A time machine. Because mm-hmm. if they did, they would have gone back in time and would have been there for their kid. So by the time the kid's a teenager, the legacy the parent left was unreliable, conditional, and focused on things over relationships. That was the parent's legacy that they left behind through their actions, what they said and did, and what they didn't say and didn't do. And I think that's really what we have to keep our eye on is like, you already have one, it's your past. So if you want a new legacy, you need to change your actions in the present. Right, you need to pivot that and be intentional, but also have people speak into your life because oftentimes we don't see what's in front of us, right? Absolutely, and I think we're in the frame of our own life, and I think that's why it's like, you have to have mentors, you have to have coaches, you have to have people who are compassionate and curious, but they're not the main event, they're not the star of your story, they're just observing your story. You're the star of your story. And so it's hard for you to get out of your own story to see mm-hmm. what you are or aren't doing. And so you may have a blind spot that's just out of you. What's happening in that blind spot is affecting your legacy without you even realizing it. And so I think that's why coaches and mentors are vital because they're the ones who will call out your blind spot so you can pivot. Right. Thank you so much. That's a great answer. Love it. Now, as a listener of our podcast, What are some questions that you would like future leadership guests to respond to? Yeah, the one I struggle with, and I'd love to hear more about, is, you know, your team as a leader is heterozygous. What's the right word? They're not all the same. You know, everybody's got a different personality. I mean, by nature, they're not cogs in a wheel. They're human beings, Mm -hmm. individual case study of one. um, And... They could have gone to the same school and had a different experience. They could come from the same internship, different experience, right? So you've got different employees, different people under you that you're trying to serve. And do you try to get them to buy into your leadership style or do you adjust your leadership style to meet them where they are? And is that possible at scale? Like, I'm really curious about that. Because I can see if you run a small business or you have a small team that you could pivot a little bit depending on who you're working with. But at a certain point, when you're trying to scale, that, that would break. And then so how do you facilitate meeting people where they are, validating that not everybody's the same and they have different needs as a leader? How do you balance that? Great question. So is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? I just want to empower people to embrace the musician inside of them. What you've learned as a kid growing up is a myth about music. You were told it's hard, it's expensive, it's time consuming, and you have to have talent. It's not true. So if you can tap, snap, clap, hum, rap, check, check, one, two. Watch this one. If you can scratch an itch, no joke, everybody scratches. 
of music. Everybody <laughs> scratches a perfect rhythm. So you are a walking, talking, breathing rhythm machine. You can't not be, I mean, everything you do, your body runs on rhythm. So you are a rhythm machine. It's just coordination. It's just practice. Everybody who practices at music gets better at music. And so you just do the thing you like the most. If you don't like to sing, don't sing. Shake and dance. Shake your booty. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's all that was required. If you like to sing, let it rip. And the beauty of music is when you're listening to music and you're singing along or dancing along or tapping or playing your guitar to it, whatever, the music never stops if you sing a wrong note or if you can't keep the beat. It accepts you exactly where you are. And I think it's one of the most beautiful things about music is it is unconditional in its acceptance of its listener. Music's amazing like that. And we're always afraid to engage with it. We want to be a spectator. No, no, no. It totally accepts you where you are. Like I have a drum set and I'll play along with a song and there's certain parts I can't keep up with. Like, I don't know how to do them. I'll just play this and this and my feet won't do anything. Well, the music doesn't stop and say, Hey, Tim, I noticed <laughs> you're off a little. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't care. So I just play with my arms until right, I get that right, part right, down. Right, and then right. I try to add my feet and I'm like, Woo, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Wherever you are with your relationship with music, it's really important to engage with it and not just be a spectator. Because mm. when you engage your body with the music, that pulls you into the present moment. And that's the only place you got any control in this whole mess. Reach for music. You know, Tim, I love your passion. I'm absolutely engaged. You've inspired me tremendously. Awesome. This has got to be one of the most connected interviews I've had. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. And you're just oozing that connection. And I love that. All right. So Lily, I want to give a gift to all of your listeners because we all need tools to relax in a healthy way. So for like over a decade, one of the things I've been doing is personally leading people through a musical guided memory experience that I like to call the relaxation vacation. Ooh. So I'd like to give it to your audience as a gift. It's basically me walking you through a memory that you've had where you were happy, healthy, connected, safe. And I use music to bring you back to that place in about a 10 to 15 minute window. And so when the stress of the present moment is getting too much for you, you just go into another room, you put in your earbuds and you take a vacation without having to leave your house. Okay. Love it. So, all your listeners would have to do, it's a special dedicated website just for your listeners. It's ml.sonicrecovery.com. Thank you no, so much. You're welcome. No www, just ml.sonicrecovery.com. And when your listeners go there, they'll see my happy face and I'll be like, hey, thank you so much for checking me out on Lily's podcast, Master Leadership. Here's that gift I was telling you about. Just put in your name and your email address and I'll give them the instructions. I really appreciate the time we've had together. Thanks that so much. That was fun. That was really fun. All right. Have a great evening. Yeah. Have a good rest of your day too. Bye. Bye. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.